0: So uh, I thought tonight, uh, amidst just the historic evening, that we would ask uh, what I uh, would claim to be a historic question. Put on my first slide here if you can. Are, are you more of a preparer or more of a procrastinator? Okay? So I, I thought tonight we would, we would separate the crowd based upon which you lean to. How many of you lean to preparation by raise of hand, just so we can see all of you? All right. Uh Uh-huh. You were already anticipating that raise of hand, okay? You've been thinking somehow about it all day. And I know no one's going to raise their hand uh, because you're not listening. Uh, How many of you would lean towards procrastination just by raise of hand? All right, several of you. That was actually the least procrastinating thing you've ever done. So uh, I... One of the funny things about when Heidi and I were in college, and I'm I'm seriously, I feel bad admitting this, but we got in a GPA war, my, my wife and I went to the same college, and so we were always like talking about whose GPA was higher, and um, the thing about Heidi is that she was very studious, very prepared, uh, she had like flashcards always, okay, um, she like, she just... She she went hard all the time in school, and I certainly appreciated that about her. Uh, Me, on the other hand, this is a true story, and again, I'm sorry for if this ruins something uh, in any of you, but I never studied for a test apart from the morning of. Okay, and um, part of it was to prove to Heidi that I could do it that way, and um, and part of it was just because I I can lead a little bit to the to the procrastination side and. So what ended up happening is she beat me by like .04 percentage points uh, in GPA. Uh, so I'll give her the win, but the asterisk that I always get to share is, but yeah, I, I like never studied, you know? And so, and so some of you who are procrastinators, I, I thought you would appreciate this. Here, here's some images that like really summarize the procrastinators in the room. I put the pro and procrastinate, right? So you guys are, I mean, you're, you're not semi-pro, you're not double A ball, absolute pro. I really like this one, Top 10 Reasons I Procrastinate, and that list went not so far, right? Um, so that's uh, some of you. I really appreciate this next one, uh, the procrastination flow chart. It's really simple, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's always no, and, and maybe this will take some of you, just a second, but my favorite of all of these uh, is, next slide, is this one right here. Um, so this is the Facebook font, you know, and so it's Facebook logo, so it's as if to say Facebook is a massive means of procrastination. I really like this one. You guys, not so much. All right. <laughs> Interesting. So next slide. I want to I introduce um, the night like this. Why prepare if procrastination gets me close to the same results, say the procrastinators, right? Like, why should we put effort into preparation when it seems like when I do prepare, I get almost the same end. My GPA, case in point, right? Procrastinate, study, you know, almost a fourth, and still kind of do okay. I have zero recollection of anything I learned in college. However, my GPA was decent. Okay. Now, now, listen. What if? What if this philosophy? Um, What if this philosophy all of a sudden started to take root in our hearts deeper than we thought? What if those of you who think that you lean towards preparedness, uh, maybe tonight we'll actually realize something new? What if those of you who come in here battling with procrastination will all of a sudden through one of the most epic stories of Joshua see a brand new thing? So open your Bibles, my friends, to Joshua chapter 3. If you're just joining us again, I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, we consider you already family and brothers and sisters, so it's great, great, great to have you here. We've been studying uh, since mid August the book of Joshua. That's what we do here study verse by verse. Uh, in summary, here's what's happened thus far Joshua is an old man, okay, 90 years old or so. His predecessor, Moses, some of you guys have seen Prince of Egypt, so you understand all of biblical doctrine then, okay. Uh, Moses has died. Joshua is now commissioned by God and takes over to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. God has given him many promises and the people, given him many commands. Last uh, couple weeks, we saw Joshua send a couple worthless spies in uh, to Jericho. They meet a prostitute with a name named Rahab. And uh, the whole thing kind of doesn't provide much reconnaissance, but the, the spies do come back and tell Joshua, hey, listen, this land is for us. Thank you, worthless spies. That, that gets us all the way here to chapter 3. And I'm telling you right now, this story absolutely has my heart. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, he's old, that's what old people do. Well, I want, I want you, though... Um, to see a pattern. Uh, There's a biblical pattern that that I've noticed. Okay, I've seen this in David, certainly in Jesus' life. We've seen this now in Moses and now in Joshua, where there is this, like, eagerness to live. I know for a lot of you, when you wake up in the morning, not so eager, okay? Um, But there's this, like, today life is going to happen. And I see this eagerness here again in Joshua. Then Joshua rose early in the morning... And they set out from Shittim, and they came to the what? What's the word? The Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now, I want to show you the map again, just to frame of reference us. Shittim, you see there, is in kind of the top right-hand corner. The Jordan River is that blue line that goes straight up from the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, and you'll see Jericho, our aiming point, highlighted in red. You're an Israelite. You've been in slavery for 440 years in Egypt. You've been in the wilderness for 40 more years. And now you're on the precipice of what is the promises of God in providing you and 1.5 to 2.5 million Israelites the promised land. And now there's only a river in between you and it. And I have to imagine everyone, everyone, on the other side of the Jordan River, we're going to find out later, Uh, It was at flood stage. So in all uh, estimations, it could be as much as 100 feet wide at this point. I have to imagine that the 85-year-old woman is looking at the river thinking to herself, how in the world are we going to get across this? And she's looking at her 85-year-old husband and she's thinking to herself, surely he can't put me on his shoulders, right? And so I'm just imagining hundreds of thousands of people lodging on the entrance to the promised land on this side of the Jordan, wondering, how is this going to work? Okay. What they don't know, or maybe they don't realize, is that on the other side of the Jordan is plenty more chaos. In fact, the Jordan at this point is the least of their hurdles. I see a lot of assimilation uh, between us with that. God uh, calls us to do something in obedience, and instead of claiming victory in the promises, uh, the one very small hurdle that is closest and nearest to our eyes and our face causes great hesitation. Uh, It's not even the fear of maybe what's unknown on the other side, it just... Yeah, but, but 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 like what? Like how are we gonna have to you know huff this thing and swim across? Like seriously, God wouldn't ask us to do this. I Maybe mean, we it's not are you know Michael Phelps or something. Like like how how are we actually going to do this? Maybe uh, if you're like me, one of the things that absolutely bothers you about those in Christ is hesitation. Empowered by the Spirit of God, saved by the King of the Universe, and yet those sons and daughters. Find themselves hesitant when they are fully empowered, fully saved, fully loved, fully graced. And yet, yeah, but what about the river, God? So let's see what happens to our friends, the Israelites. Let's see if that's their result. Let's see what happens in their perspective. Look at this in verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, first of all, when we studied Exodus a couple books ago, we became very familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus chapter 25, if you want to study it later, maps it all out. Uh, Here's a picture I drew with crayons. This will help you understand it. It was both inner and outer uh, overlaid with gold, 45 inches wide, 27 high, 27 wide. Uh, You'll see the cherubim on top, the mercy seat there, Uh, within the Ark of the Covenant were the the Ten Commandments or the law. The Ark of the Covenant represents something very, very powerful for the Israelites. You see, God God built the Ark of the Covenant through His people uh, to be a a picture of his presence. And so where the Ark went, it wasn't some like magic Jesus God box or something, but, but it was the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord wasn't confined to the Ark of the Covenant. But for the people, it, it became this, this directional piece. It became a means of worship. And so in so doing, it, it helped the Israelites. And so what happens here is uh, the officers... Tell the people, listen, you're going to watch for this ark. Wherever the ark goes, then that's going to be our our guide. And I think there's a couple reasons why this is helpful. Number one, practically when you have that many people, okay, like there's some understanding of, all right, like we need some direction here, right? We're going to cross a river. Uh, We need an aiming point. But I think the more powerful image is that the Lord always goes before his people, It's crazy, right, the things that God has called you to do. When Craig and Amanda left Colorado to come to St. Louis, God wasn't surprised that he's here. You guys see what I'm saying? God wasn't like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you wound up in this place and now you're a pastor here in this church. This is crazy, right? My God, God's mind is blown by how the script is played out. God always goes before his people. We've seen a pattern of this all throughout the nation of Israel, and now we get to celebrate that in our life. But verse 4 adds a caveat. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So (laughs) 2,000 cubits is an interesting frame of measurement for some of you. Uh, A cubit is about 1,000 yards or so. Um, and so it's basically measured from the end of your, of your finger to the end of your elbow. That's, that's kind of a cubit, so it'd be awesome if we started talking in cubits, okay? Start measuring your children in cubits. I think we should, you know, just rally. This is completely biblical, right? So, so why? Why are the people to stay 2,000 cubits away from the Ark of the Covenant? Respect, certainly, but, but again... Like when you when you imagine this many people trying to see something, have you ever been to a concert before? Behind a tall guy, it doesn't go so well. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you, you know, feel that way here sometimes, right? You're you're in your seat, standing up for worship, and you know you got a six foot six guy behind you, and you're like, well, there it goes that night, right? Like it, you're like trying to meander around, and so there's some practicality just to being this far apart, so that as many people can see as absolutely possible, on the precipice of the promised land, and then. Can I please share verse 5 with you? Is that okay? Check this out. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Uh, I'm sure you're like me in that every once in a while you read something in in the Scripture And you just want to like dance around and jump around and hit some walls and scream at the top of your your lungs. And that's me right now. Like that's what I want to do. Um, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you shall see wonders, Joshua tells the people. And so the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean for the people to consecrate themselves? And in particular, what does it mean for that many people? Well, this isn't the first time we saw this exact thing happen back in Exodus. I want to show it to you. Check this out in Exodus 19. The Lord said to Moses, this is the Lord speaking now, not Joshua in our story. Go to the people, and what's the word there? And consecrate them. Thank you for the two of you that are with me. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Okay, so some of you are like, I have clean clothes. Does that mean I'm consecrated? Hold on. All right. And be ready for the what? 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 What's the day? The third day, isn't it interesting to anyone else or is it just me that the third day seems to be a, some sort of a repetitive pattern in the scripture, okay? Some of you who think that, you know, the Bible is all numbers and, you know, all, the, all that kind of thing, well, this is a good moment for you, okay? Because there is certainly like this third day repetition, even in our story. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. The Hebrew word for consecrate is Kadesh. Everyone say it with me, come on. Kadesh, you're all Hebrew scholars now. Well done. Listen, the word means holy. It means to set apart. It means pure. Uh, it even has a, a hint of blameless. So listen, here's what Joshua is telling the people: Get ready, prepare yourselves. Tomorrow, tomorrow we're going to see the wonders of God. And if we want to see the wonders of God, we're getting the image now that there's some preparation needed. Consecrate yourselves. Now, in the Exodus account, it it probably even means a withdrawal of sexual activity outside of just clean clothes. Okay, so maybe that's some implications here in our Joshua account. We're not exactly sure. But the whole image is, listen, right now, until tomorrow set your whole life apart be fully present make preparations get ready get ready but the big question that i want to ask next slide is why in the world why in the world would this be such a prominent middle component of this story why would joshua all of a sudden say consecrate yourselves what why why in exodus consecrate yourselves like why why is this so important we're going to answer that question, but let's keep going in verse 6. And Joshua said to the priests, this is awesome, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people so they, the priests from the Levite tribe we just saw, took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And I just I want you to, to try as best as you can to picture this happening. All of a sudden, everything is getting very, very real for you. You're an Israelite. You're anxious. Okay, you've just left Shittim. You've packed things up again. Now you're on uh, the shore. Now you're watching the Ark of the Covenant be lifted up, and and so you're you're picturing all of these things take place, bearing in mind, bearing in mind, when you were a kid, you saw some crazy things in Egypt. Uh, Good chance your parents have died off. Your grandparents. But when you were a kid in Egypt, you saw the Israelites get beat, you saw the lashings, you potentially saw family members of yours killed, you saw the plagues. You also, by the way, have seen, my guess is at least half of these 1.5 to 2.5 million people, you've also seen all of the happenings in the wilderness. You've seen water come from rocks. You've seen manna flow down from heaven. You've been eating from the sky for 40 years. Okay, this has been your reality. And now all of a sudden you see the ark be lifted up and the priests start making their way to the river. As best as you can, just feel that. Understand that. Know that. With that in mind, look at verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, He hasn't blatantly spoken to Joshua since chapter 1, verse 1 and 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know, the Israelites, that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And you guys know that Moses is like utter celebrity in Israeldom, if that's even a word, okay? You say the word Moses, the people revere. So for the Lord to tell Joshua, listen, not just have I commissioned you, to come after Moses, but the people—they're going to respect you. They're going to follow you. I'm going to exalt you. Verse eight, and as for you, look at this—crazy. Command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant. Whoa, whoa, this is crazy. Check this out. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And so I'm, I'm like, I've been in the Jordan, okay? Uh, it's, it's not a beautiful river, okay? It's very muddy. It's known to be muddy. And so now you're picturing this, what seems to be a very strange command. When the priests get down to the Rio for the bilingual, then what's gonna happen is they're, they're just gonna stand there like they're fishing or something, okay? Like, th- this just seems like a strange command. Like, wh- why? Why, Lord, would you want this? Why would you do this? Verse 9, in response to what God had said. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. My heart right now could not be more stirred with the reason why we preach from God's word. We preach from God's word and not Oprah or some sort of cultural relativism because this word is living and active. Because this word has so much life because this word is true, cuts to the core of us. And so what we feel like every Wednesday we do and Sundays when we gather and when you're discipling those uh, that you're in relationships with, what we're doing is we're saying, come and let's listen to the word of the Lord. And so I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Every time we gather as a family, as friends, as brothers and sisters, we're not coming to a production. We're coming to hear from the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that stands true, not the word of man. And so listen, Joshua, listen. Come here, listen. Come here, listen. You guys got to get this. Verse 10. And Joshua said, oh, somebody, somebody, here is how you shall know that the what? that the living, feel free to jump out of your seat, that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perseites, uh, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Say that seven times, okay? A dead God cannot keep fulfilling promises. Do you guys understand? Listen, one of the reasons why it's Easter every day in our lives it's because a living God can fulfill his promises. A living God isn't just living in the past. You understand? Like we're not just coming around saying what our God did. We come together to talk about what our God is doing. That is a living God. That is what separates our God from all the other lowercase, not real gods. Is the tomb is empty, our God is alive and he's doing something. He's doing something here and now just like he's going to do right now in our story in the Jordan. And so Joshua reminds the people of that. Here's how you shall know. The living God is going to fulfill his promises. Hello, this is crazy in verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, of all the earth. You like that? You like that in there? Joshua has a way of just dropping some truth, okay? He's not just living. He's not just living, but he's also the Lord of all the earth. Anybody believe that? Right? Come on. He's passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each, uh, from each tribe a man. We're going to see that story flesh out next week. And when the soul... Whoa, 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 look at this, verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, you see that again? You like that? Mm-hmm. Shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. Look at this. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing... And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one what's the word there? Heap. Heap. What's your favorite childhood vacation memory? Anybody? How many guys went to Disney World when you were kids? Okay, some of you guys? Yeah? Really? Only that many? Okay. How many of you guys went to like uh, Montana and some of the I've never been like South Dakota. Is that where Mount Rushmore is? Okay. Three of you, good. Um, and any any families here been to Hawaii? Was that a good memorable vacation? Okay, yeah. So for me, one of my most memorable vacations, because it was a bit infamous, was uh, our family vacation to Washington, D.C. My mom's here tonight, so she'll remember it well, as uh, my sisters are as well. And the reason why it was so memorable is uh, I'm 12, 13-ish, and we're standing in the nation's capital, okay? This is a place of respect, a place of, you know, um, um, what's the right word? Uh, you know, a, a place that's somewhat solemn, okay? And, uh, and I'm wearing uh, athletic shorts, as I did all the time, okay? And I'm not sure what was going on in her mind, uh, but my younger sister, Janae, um, Janae, are you here? Are you in Kids? are you here tonight? Okay, she's back there. Thank you, Janae. Janae, you remember this moment? Okay, she does. <laughs> Janae, for whatever reason, in the nation's capital... Uh, being a, such a good sister, she decided to de-pants me in the nation's capital. Okay. Um, now she, she she didn't, you know, it was it was just the shorts, so you know we were safe. Um, but but there's cameras, people around. I mean, I'm so embarrassed. And I, I remember, a it was like 195 out that day. Okay. But I just remember, like, looking at my sister, like, that was unbelievably rude. And at the same time, I'm really proud of you. Like, that's well done, you know? (laughs) We We had a lot of great family vacations, a lot of great memories. But I want you to understand this moment. If you're an Israelite, you've been on a lot of trips. You've been on a lot of trips. You've seen a lot of land. You've stayed in a lot of tent. okay? You've been hot, thirsty. The food has gotten monotonous. When you were a kid, you walked through the sea. Imagine yourself like holding your parents' hand on what now seems to be the trip of a lifetime. You were just in slavery a little bit ago. And you're like grabbing your parents' hand and your oxen are behind you. And literally on both sides of you are the walls of the sea. And so now, all of a sudden, in this massive, epic, sovereign bookend, your journey in the Exodus started with a parted sea. And now, 40 or so years later, you're going to get to experience that again. All of the memories of crossing water, like all of the memories of walking on dry land, all the wonderings, right, of like, oh my goodness, I'm I'm scared. Mom, hold my hand. Is this thing going to fall on us? That's what Joshua says from the Lord is going to happen. There's going to be a heap of water, a stoppage in the flow of the Jordan River, and it's going to allow all of us, 1.5 to 2.5 million Jews, to walk across on dry land. This is crazy. Look at verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks, and throughout the time of harvest, which is just a note to say, uh, there was nothing here that wasn't supernatural. The writer is making clear that everyone understands, listen, there was water. Okay, the beavers hadn't gotten together and built a dam so that the Israelites could walk across. There's a miracle, there's a wonder right now that's going to happen. Okay. Verse 16, when all those things had happened, the priests, the people, the waters coming down from the north, from above, stood and rose up in a heap very far away at the town named Adam. Like 16 or so miles away, up north, the city that is beside uh, Zarathan. And those flowing down from the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely, what's the word, cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. I mean, this is crazy. Now, I found a flood picture of the Jordan River from the 1930s. Check this out. Check this out. Okay. All we can do is imagine The water is probably something like this in its width. Okay, I know this looked like I drew it with like colored pencil or something, okay? But this is a real picture. So imagine, you were a kid, and all of a sudden you see the Ark of the Covenant go across, and the priest's toes dip in the water, and all of a sudden the water gets stopped up in a heap. And you start seeing the people funnel down on dry land, Moving, moving into the fulfillment of all these promises. And you can remember as a kid. And now you're holding your children's hand and you're feeling their fear as they look at the water. And you're remembering all the things that God has done between then and now. And you walk on the stones that were just covered by water. Listen. Imagine the moment... When you get on the other side and you look back and you see hundreds of thousands of people still coming. Can you just imagine that moment with me? I imagine like the father and son or mother and daughter or family all kind of looking at one another like, oh my goodness. Look at what God has done. This was way better than a canoe. You know, I mean, look look at what God has done. And here's verse 17. Check this out. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly. Remember this? Stay there. Stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan Please, right now, please, right now, every single, every single one of you, see what I'm seeing. What do you see? What happens? Who goes? Everybody. Everybody. There's no stragglers back in the back. There's no one that the scripture records. It's like, I don't think so, Joshua. I got it pretty good out here. I got me a tent. I got me some manna. You know, I got the awesome, what's the miracle straw thing? I can, you know, just use that in the Jordan. I'm good here. Okay. Unity. Listen, church. People, brothers and sisters that I love so much. There is so much power when God calls a group of people to one mission and one vision and when together, different stories, different places in life, even maybe different concepts of faith, they, they follow together. This is the beauty of what we long for here. Not to escalate Matthias' lot in any stretch, but to be the local body that God has called us to be together. I'm obsessed with the fact that they all go. Listen, we say it all the time here. If you're a follower of Christ, listen, there is no Christian bench. There's no place where you get to cheer on all those who are serving. Once you come to Christ, you've signed up to die, and it's go time together with all of the other sons and daughters of the great king. They go together. Now, we still have a problem from the beautiful epic story that this is, next slide, I kept reading verse five over and over and over. It's going back to Exodus nineteen over and over why? why consecrate why, why set apart like well what's what's the point why well, and do you guys know the moment where like all of a sudden where all of a sudden um, the Lord shows you something so specific that it absolutely changes your life? Have you ever had one of those moments? I've had one in the last three days because all of a sudden the Lord showed me this. Next slide. Preparation impacts praise. Listen. Let's just take today. Today. Many of your routines and rhythms are you wake up and you brush your teeth and prayerfully um, and you shower and, you know, you have your new station that you turn to and some of you guys, you know, go to breakfast or, you know, make something. For me, I go every day to Quick Trip, okay, so that's part of my preparation. Anyone else, right? Praise be the Lord, All right? We'll be lost without Quick Trip. And so we'll have our, our rhythms and our routines, But I've started to wonder if preparation impacts praise. And one of the things we've been learning about here is that we long to praise the Lord without music. And we long to praise the Lord in our homes. We long to praise the Lord in our workplaces. Why would God want the Israelites to consecrate themselves and prepare Because maybe, just maybe, in the preparation, in the setting apart, in the making pure, in the praying, in the focus, then maybe they wouldn't just be an observer of God, maybe then they would be a worshiper of Him. Because what I'm learning is, we have a whole lot of observers We can see when God is moving and when He's doing something, and we can state it like it's a fact. God moved, God did this, God's doing that. Oh, way to go, God. But the impact on the praise that happens in your heart in humility, recognizing that He's the King of the universe and brings you to your face, seems distant. Is it possible that because of our lack of preparation, maybe even our procrastination, or just not setting apart our lives to see the, the works and wonders of God, that we have merely become observers, maybe, just maybe, in our observations of God, we are missing all of these opportunities to praise Him? So today, ill-preparation You see your neighbor outside, beautiful day. And it could be that moment where you, yeah, beautiful, man, it's so nice outside. I'm sure half of you said that at some point today. So beautiful, nice breeze, you know, like this is great. It's just a great day. Or with preparation, with a hunger to praise, your neighbor says, what a beautiful day. And all of a sudden, that word triggers you. Like all of a sudden, your, your neighbor's wondering what's going on. Because all of a sudden, your neighbor sees your eyes get big. Right? And this has happened to me, and it gets weird and awkward, but it's awesome. Okay? And in your heart, you're like, whoa, whoa. It is a beautiful day. In fact, this is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it because without the king, this day doesn't exist. Without the king, I have no breath. Without the king, I can't even talk to my neighbor right now, but I am because he's good. Praise be to God. But how do we think, how do we think that just by waking up, putting the coffee on the pot, turning the TV station on the remote, that all of a sudden we have that interaction with our neighbor, that our heart is just going to instantly go there. Wake up. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves because I do not want you to miss the wonders of God. Get ready because the wonders of God you will see tomorrow. Prepare yourself. And so listen, because I care so deeply, okay, I want to help us, including myself, because God has convicted me in immense ways. Immense ways. So let's walk together through this. Next slide. God's wonders never stop, so why does our praise? And when we can just for a second stop to ask this question, I believe right now maybe the Lord will do something So transformative. I was sharing with the guys, listen, I I long for the word to do something transforming in me all the time. But for whatever reason, this passage and this story has changed me. And I want to show you how. Next slide. God's wonders never stop. So why why does our praise? Number one, it's because we're ill prepared to face the day. We approach the days as though the day is living us and not as though we're living it. Uh, We somehow think that our day can be uh, embattled against the flesh and against the flaming arrows of the enemy, which scripture makes clear is happening, and that we can do that with no time in the precious word of God and no time communing with the throne of God, and he's given us access to it through his son Jesus. Like, what are we thinking? How do we think that we can just wake up and all of a sudden be like, it's go time? And we just walk into QT, no preparation, no thought, no prayer, no desire. And that somehow this conversation with the clerk can lead our hearts to worship. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, right now, all of us must take a drastic look at the rhythm of our preparation. Not for some legalistic purpose, which is where some of your minds will go to. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. Mark, so where's where's like the list you're going to give me to where I can read my Bible every morning and check it off on my refrigerator? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about waking up. And some of the first thoughts out of your mind are his mercies are new today. And I'm picturing all of us walking to the shower... And all we can think about is his mercies are new today. Like, this, this is crazy. I don't even deserve to live. And yet alone, his scripture says that his mercies are new today. And you flip that shower and you start brushing your teeth and you look in the mirror and you're like, whoa, that doesn't look good, but I'm thankful the Lord does. And it's literally like every minute of your day. This is why the scripture says, be joyful always. I'm now starting to understand we can because he is praiseworthy always. There's never one moment where he's not praiseworthy or doing wondrous works around us. But we start our day just on our way. All of a sudden we, you know, clock into work or school. We get to the end of our day Ill-prepared. Have missed so many opportunities uh, next slide god's wonders never stop so why does our praise because for some of us god as we said over and over and over here is merely an idea he's not a god he's not a king he's just a concept he's a mantelpiece you see my guess is if you walked down your stairs like i do every morning into your home and the lord god was sitting there on a couch my guess is your morning might look a little different right Oh, oh, hey, Lord, right? Like, you want some coffee? You know, it's okay, I'm good, right? Like, I'm guessing you would fall to your face. I'm guessing, like, your entire morning would be transformed. And yet what Scripture records is that the Spirit of God is in us, moving with us. We are a temple of God. And so listen, for those of you that God is just an idea, I understand. I understand why praise would be empty and there would be no preparation. Why the Israelites, if God was just an idea, would see the open seas and be like, oh, that's nice. But when God is God, every step across that river is one more humbling act of worship. Number three, God's wonders never stop. So why does our praise? Because we've associated praising God with certain situations and settings. God, change us right now. Change us. I'm celebrating some of the stories that I'm hearing about our law families right now. There are law families that are learning how to worship and praise with no music, with no lighting control, with nothing. Just with the works of God. People are showing up and sharing what God's doing, and people are praising. But listen, if we associate the praise of the Lord with just corporate gatherings or just when this song is on or just when Hillsong United is bumping in the background, I'm telling you, we are missing thousands, thousands of opportunities to praise every day. God, change our hearts. Change this church's heart right now. Because then you know what happens? Can I, can I tell you this real quick? Listen, what happens is when you walk in this foyer and you see brothers and sisters and you start sharing the works of God, Brandon could get up here and just say the name of Jesus and people just be ready to praise. But just like he had to do today, right? Like It's like we're singing about the wondrous works of God and it feels a little bit dead. I'm just like, what in the world? What in the world? Like, have people forgotten the tombs empty? Like, like, what's going on? Because I'm picturing everyone walking down the sidewalks and like, yes, even amidst my trial, God's alive and he's doing a good work. And then we all gather here, and then the corporate gathering is the party and collection of the brothers and sisters in Christ who have learned all week long that God is good in spite of not just being together, and then they get to come together. Oh, dear heavens! Right. And when they come together, whoo! The non-believer can come in and learn and be curious, and the believer can come in and party with his brothers and sisters because their God is praiseworthy. Do you guys understand? This was why I was so bothered as a young kid going to a church that seemed dead. Like I would, I would walk in and, the, you know, the organist is falling asleep playing the hymns, you know? It's like Amazing Grace, and the, that, like, that note just carried on for days, you know? I'm like, hey, everybody, let me shout shout it from the mountaintops. I don't know if you've read, the tomb is empty. So we got some praising to do. What if God completely transformed us? You see what I'm saying? We don't even need to use the word revival. We can just say a bunch of people praising God. That seems like a good idea. Let's keep going. God's wonders never stop. So why does our praise? Number four, condemnation and doubt cloud what God is doing. You can't even see what God is doing because you're heaped with all the imagery of your past. I understand, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that some of the imagery is stuck in there. But let me remind you of something. The scripture says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. No. Condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen, right? So as condemnation begins to creep in, maybe because of times of disobedience, it's actually this amazing time for you to be reminded yet again of how deep grace is. You see, what starts out as condemnation and the enemy winning can lead to praise because all of a sudden you see your heart changing and be like, hold on a second. My sin is deep. His grace is more. You see? I have done wrong, and I've screwed this up. And I can't believe I even got to this place, but his grace is more. His love is deep. I'll never be separated from it. Are you with me, right? See, everything can come back to praise. Everything, even our doubt. Finally, God's wonders never stop, so why does our praise? Number five, next slide. Next slide. The silencing effect of others. There's been a lot of people that have told me to shut up. A lot of people that have said you need to settle down. And I have to be honest, there's been moments where I've thought about listening. Listening. Hey, Mark, you're, you're never, you're never going to be a pastor if you're, like, so rambunctious like that, is what I heard. What I've come to believe is that when Jesus is going down the Kidron Valley on a donkey, and some people come up to him and say, you better tell your boys to be quiet. And Jesus, the Son of Man, steps in and says, oh, yeah, well, if they silence their mouths, the rocks will cry out. And so I'm picturing a whole culture trying to shut us up. You guys need to keep your praise to yourself. You guys need to silence all of that energy about the Lord. And I picture Christ in all of his compassion for us as his kids stepping in and saying, what are you talking about? If they are silenced, oh my goodness, just wait to hear creation groan. We can't be silenced. Preparation impacts praise. And so when Joshua tells the people to consecrate, to get ready, he's telling them, don't take lightly the wonders of God and the preparation to worship through it. So I want to end briefly with this story. Look at this crazy, powerful text. Next slide from Luke chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. These lepers stood at a distance, well trained by the culture, because leprosy was hideous. These uh, ten lepers lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, look what happens. The wonders of God show up again. They're cleansed. But look at how the story goes on. This is crazy in verse 15. Then one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. And what does he do? That's right, church. He praises God with a what? With a loud voice. You see, if you've been healed from leprosy and you've been a social outcast all of your life, and all of a sudden it's all gone, there is nobody that needs to silence you. How much more then if a Savior has cleansed you from your sins? How much more then that somehow we're just going to give in to a bunch of people and say you need to be tolerant and shut your mouth? Oh no, this person comes back praising the Lord with a loud voice and he fell on his face unashamed at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan and Jesus answered, where? we're not ten cleansed, where are the other nine? And you know what, you know what, I love the fact that he doesn't answer. He doesn't have to answer for them. You don't have to answer for me and I don't for you. It's you and the Lord. And then collectively as a family, us and the Lord. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And look what he says finally in verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. One. Final statement, Matthias. Listen to this. Final slide. Look at this. Please see this. Prepare, my friends, for the wonders of God are at hand. They're tomorrow, they're tonight, they're right now in this minute. Consecrate yourselves. We're set apart. We don't read the word as some religious anecdote. This is life to us. We don't commune in prayer with him because we're supposed to, but because we get to prepare yourself because tomorrow you will see the wonders of God and all along the way, opportunities to praise. And no one, no enemy, no culture, no coworker, no teammate can ever silence the work that God's done in our life. I'm going to invite my four other brother elders to come up here tonight. As our first um, way of shepherding as a new team together, the five of us long to serve you, all those who are believers in this room, this ancient meal. my guess is you're realizing tonight that you've made a mockery as I've realized a preparation those days are done because of the beautiful grace of a savior who, whose body was broken and he said and invited take and eat grace is yours my body is shed so that you can have hope and then he lifted the cup And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. You take this and drink in remembrance of me. Tonight, listen, maybe it's not walking across the Jordan. Maybe it's so much more than that. He saved you. He's done a work in your life. So let's praise the Lord.